Hello, and welcome to the Super Gay Wedding Podcast. I'm Cindy Savage, real queer wedding planner at ILS Traveled. And I'm Amanda Summerlin, super gay wedding photographer at Amanda Summerlin Photography. We're wedding pros who are gay as fuck. And we're talking about wedding shit from an LGBTQ perspective. Super gay wedding! Fuck yeah! Woo! Hey Cindy, how's it going? Pretty good, Amanda. How are you? Pretty good. We start really lame every time, don't we? We need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was better, actually. Uh, do we need to do that over? No, that was really good. Lame. We're going to keep that lame shit. <laughs> <laughs> People need to know the real us. I'm fucking great. That's how I am. How are You're you? fucking great. <laughs> I actually am. It's true. You really are. I agree. Objectively, I'm awesome. Again, I agree. I can't and I think that you are, too, which is why this super gay podcast is super awesome. <laughs> super gay. Super so gay and super awesome. So what's going on with you lately? What are you up to? Um, well, I'm finishing up my wedding planning subscription, which I'm super excited about. It's going to launch cool. pretty soon here. And I hope I'm going to help a lot of people You're totally get, help a lot get people. good weddings planned well without spending a fuck ton of money. A fuck ton of money. How much exactly is a fuck ton of money? Is that more than a shit ton? <sighs> Yeah, it definitely is because fuck is a worse or swear word. Anyway, what are you up? What have you been up to? Well, you know, I'm still kind of in my weird late winter break. So we're doing some home improvement. We started digging out for our patio. We're doing all the work ourselves because A, I'm crazy. And B, if you do all the work yourself, then you can have more. You know, because we can put all the money into materials instead of into materials and labor. So instead of having a patio that's 10 foot by 10 foot, we can have one that's about 900 square feet. It's amazing. It's as big as our entire house. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so. So you better put it to good use once it's done. (laughs) Well, I do like being outside a lot. So I need my vitamin D. And so, yeah. I just take mine out of a bottle. So who are we talking to today? I'm really excited about our guest today. Today we are talking to Bernadette Smith, mm-hmm. and she is, if not the first, then definitely one of the first wedding planners ever to have specifically branded and marketed herself towards LGBTQ couples. Awesome. She started her business, 14 Stories, right after the marriage equality legislation passed in Massachusetts, which was where she was living at the time. Mm-hmm. And... She has since gone on to to found the Gay Wedding Institute, which helps other wedding businesses and has recently expanded into a couple of other industries like travel and tourism, helps them learn how to embrace and accept the LGBTQ community and how to market and serve them well. Wow. So she's going to be a fabulous guest and I'm really excited to talk with her. And as a personal side note, she was also the wedding planner who helped my ex and I get our legal marriage thing done. Nice. Boston many years ago. So we go way back. So should we get right to it and say hi to Bernadette? We totally should. All right. We're here today with Bernadette Smith. Bernadette, will you tell us who you are, what you do, and where you do it? Sure. Um, like, like you said, my name is Bernadette Smith. I live in Chicago, but 14 years ago when I was living in Boston, Massachusetts, I started my very first business, which was as a wedding planner specializing in planning LGBTQ weddings. And my focus was to be an advocate for these couples, to help them feel really supported in a heteronormative industry, and to allow them permission to break the rules and not follow those 
heteronormative traditions. And then of course, to provide them with support so they didn't feel like there was any risk of them experiencing discrimination in the planning of their day. So that's been the, the big biggest part of my career. Um, although for the past seven years, I've also been doing a lot of training and consulting for businesses in the wedding and travel industries on sales marketing and customer service to our community. I have to say, I spent some time looking through your website before we got started here today. And I was, I was really impressed with the, the, the amount of information that's available there. And I, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know, considering I've been a professional, you know, photographer in the business for about the last eight years or so. And I thought that, you know, I thought I knew a lot, but I was, <laughs> I was sitting there just kind of scrolling through and I'm like, this is really great information. What was the most surprising thing you found there? Me? Yeah. Ah, that's a good question. I mean, the, the, the wedding data page in particular kind of, cause, um, the, the research is, is, really fascinating and the the thing that I probably really caught my eye the most is that f only six percent of same couples read wedding magazines and only five percent re read wedding blogs I thought that was really interesting and um, that actually um, ties in with my experience trying to find couples to work with you know it's like I've been advertising on wedding blogs and all that like everyone does and not getting a lot of response from it but you know just um, primarily getting referrals and things like that. So that was fascinating. You know that even though those numbers are low, mm -hmm. cumulatively, if you look at all of the various LGBT outlets, so whether it's magazines, blogs, uh, online directories, using a Google search term with LGBT mm -hmm. in the search, um, the sum of that is over 50%. Mm -hmm. So over 50% of couples are actually looking in some LGBT specific resource. Sure. This pretty varies what, what those resources are. Yeah. I definitely find the most results with just good old Google. And like you said, you know, using keywords to help people find me. Yeah. I built my whole business on AdWords when I first started. Uh, it was, I, I mean, I, I owe my business to Google. I really do because back then. Don't we all? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, back then there was nothing and, uh, and AdWords really brought me to the top right away without any, you know, organic results. So it was, it was pretty powerful. Do you think there I, was a lot of competition in 2004 or so? No. Oh. no. You were probably one of, if not the only person in 2004. So I'm curious, what did you do before you became a wedding planner and why did you decide to make the jump? Sure. I've been planning events for nonprofits. So my whole background had been in nonprofits after I have actually an undergraduate degree in film. And originally I wanted to make documentaries. And then instead of following that path after graduation, I went into, into an AmeriCorps program. Uh, which I loved, and that was in Atlanta, actually. Yeah. And from there, a lot of clients I, who worked with uh, were with AmeriCorps. Yeah, it's uh, it was a really formative time in my life. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started working at different nonprofits, planning events, and so I'd been uh, described by my peers as really calm and really organized. So I, I knew that I had that skill set. Weddings were <laughs> completely new to me when I had that uh, light bulb moment. But essentially the way it worked was when marriage equality came to Massachusetts via a court ruling, the, mm -hmm. the judges decided there was going to be this six-month stay, this period of time 
in which the legislature could potentially change this ruling and create a law or, or do something or do nothing. And in that six month period of time, there were all of these protests at the state house and uh, all of these hearings and, you know, the legislature didn't know quite what to do. And obviously people were very passionate on both sides of the issue. And I happened to work for a nonprofit where I did not have an immediate supervisor in my office. So I would take long lunches, I would leave work early and go to the state house, uh, which was only a few blocks from my office and uh, uh, be part of this, these movements and, and these protests. And at some point I was just looking around at all of these couples, many of whom had been together for decades. And I was like, wow, this is gonna move forward. And someone's got to plan the weddings. Might as well be me. <laughs> and, and so that was my light bulb moment. Uh, but again, I, I, yes, I was a capitalist and I moved from nonprofit to for profit. <laughs> but I also really did have um, an advocacy approach from the beginning. Well, I think it's a lot more satisfying in many, many ways to work with with uh, LGBTQ couples. You know, and I, I, it's like, I mean, I love all my couples, but. I feel very mama bear about my LGBTQ couples when I work with them. There's just uh, a little bit something different. Uh, it's a little bit shinier about having their wedding sometimes just because it's been denied for so long. And, and especially since, like you said, it's like you, you're, you're working with these couples who've been together for literally decades. Mm-hmm. And that is just an extraordinary moment when they say their vows for the first time legally. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. many of the couples I've worked with would have already had a commitment ceremony or maybe eloped to a state where it was illegal previously. And, and after the ruling, it's like, or they just thought this was a thing that would never be for them in their lives. And finally exactly. it is right. Absolutely. I, I've had so many similar experiences and sort of the, the common theme, especially with the older couples was I, I can't take this for granted. Mm hmm. Right. And that's such a feeling of satisfaction, almost like giving couples a gift. And then they don't take me for granted or any of their other vendors. And it's uh, it's very powerful. Absolutely. Cool. So can we talk about the name of your business for a minute? Your business is called 14 Stories. And Mm -hmm. I love the reason why. Will you share? Sure. So backing up, when I first was standing on the state house steps and I decided I was going to become a gay wedding planner, I decided to call the company It's About Time. <laughs> a, few years later, yeah. <laughs> a few years later, I hired a business coach who said to me, Bernadette, it's not about time anymore. It's here. You got to change the name of the company. <laughs> and so I decided to rebrand and thinking I was, I wanted to be clever about it. I didn't just want to be like rainbow weddings or something cliche. And so 14 stories is the name and it's in honor of the 14 plaintiffs who were part of that first case in Massachusetts, which brought marriage equality to the state. And also the 14th amendment to the U S constitution has the equal protection clause which has been used to argue in favor of many other civil rights victories. So it is a pretty powerful number in civil rights history. And I believe that those 14 stories are the stories that change the world. We were doing a little bit of math before um, we got on the air with you. And we realized that you've also 
been in business just about 14 years now. So mm -hmm. it's your 14th year. Sure is. Magical number in your life. I guess so. I was born on the 13th, so I always thought 13 was my magic number, but maybe it's 14. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we sort of covered it already a little bit, but you know, in, in the 14 years you've been doing this, how do you feel like the industry and wedding culture has changed? Well, the biggest change is obviously in society's acceptance. So we've seen a, a major shift from about a third of Americans in support of equal marriage to over 60% of Americans in support of equal marriage. And that has uh, allowed couples to feel less afraid as they move through the industry, uh, feel like they, can, they have more permission to be themselves. Uh, obviously, the, the more supportive the family of their families that they have, um, the more comfort they have in planning. When families aren't supportive, it does change the tone of planning. It makes the planning more emotional. Um, it causes more stress and more drama, obviously. So having a lot of that alleviated certainly helps. So that's that's been a huge shift. Also, in that time, our community itself has changed. So obviously the wedding industry has changed, but our community has changed as well. We see much greater awareness and conversation about people who are uh, Q and T than mm -hmm. ever before, uh, even people who are bisexual or pansexual. So how people are choosing to identify has changed. And the wedding industry, when I started uh, in 2004, was very much um, a traditional industry where couples, all couples, were keeping things fairly simple, you know, they, the, the minimum that they would do to, to upgrade or personalize the wedding might be to have a navy linen instead of a white or ivory linen tablecloth. Not much personalized besides that. There wasn't an Etsy back then. There weren't, there weren't couples who were choosing all of these creative personalized solutions. So obviously that's been a huge change to the industry, obviously for the better. And it's been really fun to watch that and to see how LGBT couples have embraced those possibilities as well. Yeah. This is completely a tangent, but Etsy, what a great point. Etsy has changed the entire <laughs> wedding industry. Yeah, definitely has. You said that and I was like, holy shit, Etsy, you're right. Yeah, yeah, now it's like one of the first places people go when they are looking for personalized or that right. sort of handmade artisan whatever for their wedding. I mean, I'm seeing it all over the place in Facebook groups or whatever when people say, where can I find such and such a mm -hmm. thing? It's like Etsy, Etsy, Etsy. Yeah, and obviously that's been a huge one, but then even social media and how that's allowed people to to be more connected and to share ideas. For example, Pinterest, mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, every couple now has a pin board. Which is, I know. You know what? I'm so glad that Pinterest was not a thing when I got married. Because <laughs> the, the downside and the upside, obviously, is that there's a fuck ton of ideas for people to find and use and personalize and whatever. But the downside is decision fatigue, man. Mm -hmm. Too many options. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, if you're overwhelmed, how are the rest of us going to do anything? Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So now we want to uh, talk a little about the negative. What's the shittiest thing you've ever witnessed happening to an LGBTQ couple at or while they're planning their wedding? The first thing, uh, this all come in, in my mind, the shittiest thing that happens is when a family rejects you. Right. Right. Yeah. So yes, it's, it sucks to be rejected by a vendor, 
but to be rejected by a parent or a family member is even worse. Um, and it brings this to me, this memory I have of a client when I was living in New York city, I had two gay men. Uh, and when we first met, one of them told me that his dad was not going to attend the wedding, but his mom and brother were, and that was it. And that's cool. Whatever, you know, that's how it is. The other guy had the full support of his entire family. So as we start the planning process, I built the couple, as I do with all couples, a wedding website, their custom URL, and I, they sent me photos to use. And one of the photos was a photo of that groom who did not have the family support with his mom. Just a cute little photo. And um, he called me one night and he was in tears and he said, that his mom saw the website and she informed him that not only would she not be attending the wedding, but that he needed to have that photo removed from the website because she didn't even want to be associated with the wedding. And these guys got married in Manhattan. His parents lived in Queens. That's heartbreaking. They live mm -hmm. like five, five miles away. And the only member of his family to attend that wedding was his brother. Mm. And that just made me heartbroken for him, angry, mm -hmm. and it also changed the dynamic and planning, obviously, and it changed the flow of the wedding because we didn't have a parent dance, mm -hmm. you know, because we didn't want him to feel left out if Jason was dancing with his mom, changed the nature of the group portraits, the family portraits. He didn't have anyone to be in a picture with except for his brother, who was his best man, uh, but, but nonetheless, it shifts the energy um, and it, that type of thing just breaks my heart. And we're seeing, like I said before, a lot more acceptance, but you know, I think that something like 40% of couples still have one partner without mm -hmm. the support uh, who doesn't have the support of their family. And that's still, that's a massive number. That really is that, that holds uh, probably with my couples. So it's probably about the right average. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, you know, so I have a questionnaire that I sent out to my couples to ask if there's, you know, anything we need to know about family dynamics and, you know, probably get about 40% of, of LGBTQ couples who send back, you know, a, a family member is not approving and won't be in attendance. Um, and that, that, that adds a level of bittersweetness to the, the, the entire event. And like you said, you, it does affect the planning in a major way. And um, I, I see people making decisions, like you said, you know, about dances or uh, any family photos that are very hard for them to be making and and it does uh, it, it 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 really just adds a, a weight to the day that shouldn't be there mm -hmm. it's not just things that happen on the wedding day either I know you know Amanda you're a photographer so you don't you don't talk to couples that much in advance but yeah. for those of us who are planners and we work with them through the whole process we see all those little moments where mm -hmm. you know your your straight bride is going to go dress shopping with her mom maybe your lesbian bride doesn't have that chance. Mm -hmm. And you just, that heartbreak of being rejected by your family is present through the whole process, not just the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's because weddings are still this ritual, this rite of passage. And when you don't have your family to be by your side during the rite of passage, it, it feels a little bit empty. Yeah. All right. Well, 
let's switch gears and talk about the happier side. Yeah, you wanted to ask me a depressing <laughs> question. What a- no, no, no. Well, it's, it's <laughs> unfortunately it's a part of our experience, and so we need we feel like we need to address it with everyone because um, we don't we don't want to just gloss over it. Um, but at the same time, let's talk about your favorite wedding moment with an LGBTQ couple. There have been many, and it's awesome. hard to choose. However, Good. those three. <laughs> there's, um, there's one that really rises to the top, and it was the first wedding I ever planned for a transgender woman. And when she reached out to me about being her planner, we had our first meeting, and she said, Bernadette, I want you to help me become the bride I've always dreamed of. Mm. And it's no pressure, right? <laughs> and, uh, and she's someone who came out as transgender probably in her early 50s. Oh, wow. And had been married to, uh, as had been presenting as a man and married to a woman who supported the transition but then died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And she met someone else and she had that love again. And so now she had this pressure or this uh, opportunity to really be herself in a new way. And she was very concerned in particular, certainly about discrimination, but also really about dress shopping. She was afraid that her, she didn't have hips. Mm -hmm. She was afraid that her shoulders were too broad, that her hair piece was going to come off while she was trying on dresses. And she just had all of these insecurities. So I don't normally take my couples looking, uh, looking for attire, but in this case I did. And we got to the salon. Actually, I got there early just to, you know, had made an appointment with the place I trusted and done, you know, done all my pre-work, got there early, talked to the consultant, had a heart to heart, let her know all of my, the insecurities of my client, was waiting for them, to, the uh, two women to walk in. And I see uh, Joanne's partner come in looking around for me and I, I go to the door and she told me that Joanne was waiting in the parking lot cause she was too scared to come in on her own. So I went out and I walked her in and the shopping commenced and she was amazing in everything. It was spectacular. She was just such a, a beautiful older bride and Joanne actually wrote a book and in her inscription in my copy, she thanked me for helping her become the bride she'd always dreamed of. It was really special. Um, so that, that part of the experience was amazing. But then the actual wedding day, she was walked down the aisle by her 85, some 85 mid eighties year old father. Oh, wow. That's so her, awesome. Her niece and nephew stood up with her and uh, the Boston Gay Men's Chorus performed her their processional and recessional songs. I mean, it was and their first dance song. Like it was, it was That's something cute. else. It was really uh, a really magical experience for me, and I, I felt like it was a, a privilege to be part of their lives. That's a great way to put it. You know, it's like there are many times when you feel like it's a, a true privilege to be there mm-hmm. and help people through this part of their story. That's a yeah. really beautiful story. Yeah, I, I still, t- I mean, it's been, goodness, seven or eight years since that wedding, and it's still very, very powerful to me. 
right? I still have weddings that I think about them and I get shivers sometimes mm-hmm. because... I just got chills while I was listening to you. So. Right? I'm like tearing <laughs> up over here. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> what advice do you have for LGBTQ people who are planning a wedding right now? Be yourself. You're probably going to hear lots of advice from lots of mel- well-meaning people, perhaps siblings or parents or coworkers. Everyone will have an opinion. But at the end of the day, it's your wedding. It's your vision. And I really encourage you and your partner to embrace that, to find ways to let your personality show. If you don't want to follow traditions because so many of them are based in gender roles, then don't. But on the other hand, if you decide not to follow traditions, there's a pretty good chance your wedding could be boring because those traditions and rituals actually (laughs) add structure and flow (laughs) to your reception. So yeah, you don't have to have a first dance. You don't have to do a cake cutting or a bouquet or garter toss. That's totally cool. But for everything you take out, I would suggest you add something in. And it could be something small. It could be something that is subtle, uh, a form of entertainment, some other type of ritual, maybe another toast. But keep the momentum going. Give your guests conversation starters Give your amazing wedding photographer something to shoot besides people dancing and create a memorable experience while still expressing all of yourself. That That's really, really great advice. advice. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. Sarah going nodding away. Yes, that is a, that is really well, well put. Listen uh, to Bernadette. You. She knows what she's talking about. I've, I've uh. had lots of couples who have added in really fun, non-traditional entertainment elements because they've taken this advice. So we've had everything from fire dancers to uh, drag queen performances. We had aerial acrobats. We've had uh, flamenco dancers. <laughs> uh, my goodness. We've done I some really that cool kind stuff. of a garter toss right there. Yeah. <laughs> we had um, like these two, two shirtless men who did a choreographed dance performance to Born This Way. That was pretty Oh, my God. Yeah, and all of these things are surprises. The guests have no idea this is coming. Yeah, they're and just expecting a boring old bouquet toss. I want yeah. to plan my next wedding. It just <laughs> adds this like moment of delight. And these don't need to be, you know, 20-minute things, just this, you know, three or four-minute uh, yeah. aspect. The surprise you know, aspect alone will make everyone leave with mm-hmm. a story to tell. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. And, and yes, there are other ways to make things interactive and have conversation starters like photo booths and, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that's at this point a bit of a cliche too. A photo booth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're still fun for people though. They are. Yeah, absolutely. As a photographer, I appreciate them. They take a little pressure off me and they get people to be silly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sort of sneak around and, but you're right. I mean, everything about weddings ends up being a bit of a cliche in the end. Although but, I always try to remember that it's, it's, the, it's the, the first time for that couple. I was just going to say, you know, we're in the industry, so we <laughs> see it all the time. But for couples, it's not a cliche for them. No. no. And, you know, we have rituals for reasons. And they're the same for everyone for reasons. Now, now some of those reasons are bullshit, patriarchy, garbage. But it, 
human beings, we crave things that mark the transitions in our lives. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's reasonable to have traditions around a ritual of getting married, starting a family with somebody else. So I think one of the things I see also with LGBTQ couples is kind of claiming or reclaiming and grabbing onto some of those rituals as a way of saying we are just like everybody else in so many ways. So there's kind of both parts to it. Like we have this option to do whatever the fuck we want because there's really no rules for us. Mm-hmm. But also part of why we're doing this is because we want to be included in this marker of life in this cultural thing. And so sometimes we do sort of grab onto those. Yes. Let's have a first dance or whatever to make sure that our wedding is really part of the cultural idea of wedding. Yeah, absolutely. I I've seen plenty of that as well. And I think that a lot of this, a lot of the adherence or lack of adherence to tradition can break down by gender and by generation. That's interesting. Absolutely. In fact, the survey my company did with uh, community marketing, gay wedding, uh, uh, gayweddings.com and weddingwire.com a couple of years ago gave us some really wonderful data about what percentage of couples are following traditions. We asked same sex couples and opposite sex couples, the same questions, lots of really great uh, questions on the survey but one of them was simply a list of wedding rituals or traditions and couples were asked to simply check the box of which they were including in their wedding. And what we found was opposite sex couples were largely extremely traditional. Mm-hmm. Gay men are largely extremely non-traditional and lesbians fall somewhere in between. Interesting. Yeah. I love that data because it really does because as I'm educating the industry, one of the things that I hear as feedback is, oh, well, my couples are non-traditional these days. Well, yes and no. Lots of opposite sex couples are non-traditional in the sense that they're personalizing their wedding. And yes, family dynamics are increasingly nuanced and complicated, and that can change things. But by and large, most opposite sex couples are still doing first dances dances with parents, cake cuttings, single gender wedding parties, uh, being presented by father, etc. All of those, most of those things are still very, very popular. Um, and we see gay men in particular uh, less likely to be traditional. And see, to me, when I hear that statistic, I think how much of that, or I wonder how much of that is because there is all this narrative and pressure on women specifically to grow up dreaming of their wedding, to have already planned it to perfection before they ever even think about getting engaged and to participate in all these things. So much of that work is really put on women that I'm not surprised to hear that men are the ones who are like, eh, fuck that. We're going to do whatever we want. And women are like, oh dear, (laughs) but I'm supposed to do this thing, but I kind of don't want to. So maybe. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's, the way it's our it's exactly how our society programs us. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna just say that when I plan my my wedding reception, I've already had a wedding, but we're gonna have drag queens. So there. I'm coming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've talked a little bit about weddings and such, you also 
you mentioned a little bit your your business, your work with other companies, helping them um, work with LGBTQ clients. Can you tell us a little bit about the Gay Wedding Institute and some of the books that you've written? Absolutely. So a few years into my planning business, actually right around the time Twitter was invented, so about 2008 or so, I started connecting with other wedding professionals around the world. And they learned what I did and they were like, what? What's a, what's a gay wedding planner? Why, do, why is there even a need for such a thing? What's the difference between a gay wedding and a straight wedding, you know? Yeah. And so um, I found myself doing a lot of uh, 140 character educating. And then it kind of moved over to Facebook. And I, but at the same time, I started getting uh, requests to speak and train. And I realized that as much as I love the work I was doing with these individual couples, I could have a much larger impact on the society, on society and on the world by teaching and training people throughout the industry on the nuances, the concerns of LGBT couples. And so I created the Gay Wedding Institute as my vehicle for training and uh, created uh, uh, this whole certification course, which really digs into the nuances of language and explanations of queer and transgender and what to say and what not to say and how to not accidentally offend a potential couple. Um, and then I talk about traditions and all of the kind of the data, some of the data that I've shared today and, and, and even more. And then of course we talk a lot about marketing and so it's been a really fun project. I mean, I, I've traveled to many countries uh, doing this training. I have people who license my training in Mexico and teach this training in Spanish throughout Latin America, which is really cool. Wow. Um, I've spoken at a bunch of conferences and it's really a, a joy for me to see the light bulb going, go on in these vendors' minds uh, because so many businesses in our industry are small businesses and you know, solopreneur type things. And um, it's a lot of work and a lot of pressure to, to keep, keep business coming in. And when, when, cup, when businesses realize that there are some very simple things that they can do to provide excellent customer service to these couples and create a space where these couples feel welcomed and appreciated it's uh, it's really great because I, I feel like I can create this win-win where I can help businesses be more successful and I can help couples feel safe. Couples that, you know, they can't, not everyone, I can't be everyone's planner, right? So I, it's, I create this ripple effect and it's been um, a, a real pleasure. So I, I've written three books. The first two books are books for couples. So the first book is actually out of pub, out of print, but it's called Gay Wedding Confidential. The second book is called The Lesbian Couple's Guide to Wedding Planning. And the third book, which is now in its second edition, is called The Business of Gay Weddings, A Guide for Wedding Professionals. And that's my B2B book, yeah. which is essentially, uh, you know, sales marketing and customer service, yeah. So basically a, a version of your, your course, or? Essentially, yep. And so if you could give us the 140-character answer, what is the difference between straight and LGBTQ weddings? <laughs> you can only have 40 characters. Goodness. Uh, you can have the new double length Twitter amount. <laughs> 280? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, wow. All right. The, the difference is that many same-sex couples don't have gender roles in their relationships. 
and wedding weddings are often based on gender roles. Therefore, LGBTQ couples have a lot more freedom to express themselves in planning. That's a that's one difference. It's a major one. Yeah, it really it's is. A major one. Good it's tweet sort of, length. It's the uh, it's the cornerstone <laughs> for for everything. Yeah. Well, so now if someone wanted to to enroll in your course, how would they go about finding you? My B2B website is gayweddinginstitute.com. The course I do teach it uh, I do do teach live courses, but it's also available as an online course um, with lots of videos and homework and quizzes. I take a lot of pride in creating really smart, thoughtful content. And the feedback I've gotten on the course is awesome. We've had people from over 20 countries come through the course, which That's is amazing. super, That's super cool. It's something I'm incredibly proud of. And then my planning website is 14stories.com and that's 14stories.com. Cool. And the, and the, the business courses for everyone involved in the industry and any, uh, I forget the word. Capacity. Capacity. Thank you. Yeah. And actually it's also, I've done a lot of training for travel agents who specialize in destination weddings, which is a really huge growing segment. And so the, the course is designed for, Weddings, destination weddings, and honeymoon professionals. Fantastic. Thank All you. right. Anything else you want to tell our listeners? Well, I'm, I've been doing a lot of training now and consulting for businesses beyond wedding and hospitality. So it's been really fun to take a lot of this content, not the wedding trend content, not the wedding marketing content, but a lot of the other content and, and help businesses in other industries a better understand our community. So that's been really fun um, growing professionally, per, you know, personally and, um, you know, feeling like I can have a, a bigger impact beyond just the wedding space. So uh, it's been kind of a continual shift and evolution in my professional growth, but I'm, uh, I'm still planning. I have a couple that I'm working with this October and they are an older gay couple getting married in New York city. And it's been a real joy working with them. They're not actually calling it a wedding. They won't call it a wedding. They're having this this ceremony privately over the summer. Um, but they're calling it a celebration. Nowhere on their website is the word wedding. I even have a contact page in which I listed myself as a contact as their wedding planner. And they made me change it to celebration. (laughs) (laughs) How long have they been together? I think they've been together about six years. Yeah. But one of them is divorced from a woman. The other one is divorced from a man. And uh, they're just really thrilled to have found each other. Proof positive that you can find love again. Absolutely. Got to always, I, I always believe I'm a, I'm a, I'm a romantic for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, before you were telling us a little bit about your Me Too project, do you want to speak about that? Sure. It's kind of an extension of the new work I've been doing. Some of my corporate clients have reached out to me and asked me whether or not I've created content on hashtag me too. And I hadn't originally, but I started realizing that there's a a pretty strong link between the unconscious biases that our brain sort of programs us into uh, that cause us to make assumptions 
for example, heteronormative assumptions about who's the bride in a relationship, etc. Um, but those that unconscious bias can also lead to Me Too incidents. So I have a new talk that I'm giving to companies about how the blurred lines, like things that we can accidentally say to offend someone or um, a touch or a comment might be misinterpreted and, and how to avoid putting ourselves in those situations. So I know it sounds like a heavy topic, um, but it, I, I keep it light and fun and I love public speaking and I, I love knowing that uh, I was put on this earth to make a difference and just finding new ways to do that has been a real joy to me. That's awesome. It's, it's also really needed right now. I think a lot of people are very confused. Uh, gender expression and roles and all of that stuff is, mm-hmm. is very much up in the air and we That's are right. rethinking all of it now and in really positive ways finally. And so I think this is really needed work to help people navigate through all of that because it's not that people don't want to be good or kind to each other is that they often don't really understand the impact of their actions. And if you can just point it out to them in a kind and funny way, they'll understand it. And that sounds really amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've had some interesting conversations with cisgender straight men who basically come up to me and they're like, what are the rules these days? Like, I don't even know where I stand. What can I say? What can I not say? So it, it addresses all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but without making anyone feel judged or blamed. Yeah. I think that's huge because if, if you start judging, people get defensive right away. But if you come at mm-hmm. it with a little joke, sometimes it really mm-hmm. is the difference between understanding and just shutting someone down. That's right. Absolutely. You got it. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's the end of our questions, isn't it? It is. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. It was a My real pleasure. pleasure speaking with you. You're really fascinating. <laughs> I you. told you she'd be a great guest. <laughs> you were totally right. I never argue with you. I'm always I, right. I appreciate that. Well, I love what you're doing. You two have a, a great rapport and uh, you're going to have some really awesome episodes that I can't wait to check out. So have fun with this. And uh, if you ever need anything, give me a holler. Will do. I'm totally going to enroll in your course now. So uh, <laughs> you I, need it. You're I'd terrible be, with gay people. I'd be preaching to the choir. If <laughs> I don't know. I I learn stuff. So you um, know, yeah. I'm, I bet there's a ton of stuff in there that the both of us already know. But I also bet if we took it, we'd learn something new. Absolutely. So I'm always, always room to grow. I, I will hook you up. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. That's All awesome. Right. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Right. Thank, you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Super Gay Wedding Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, be on the show, or tell us what we should talk about next, check us out at supergaywedding.com. Find us at facebook.com slash supergaywedding. Or email us at supergaywedding at gmail.com. And if you need a bomb-ass wedding planner who totally has her shit together and is wicked competent, then you need to check out Cindy's website at islelesstraveled.com. And if you need a destination photographer who's not afraid to get her camera dirty capturing your wedding adventure, then you should get your ass over to amandasummerlin.com. By the way, if you hire us both, we're going to give you a 5% discount. Because we're fucking awesome. And we love working together. And we will rock your wedding. Super gay wedding! Fuck yeah! Woo! Nailed that shit. Super gay wedding. Fuck yeah!